this, the part that really gets me going is the big picture stuff, you know, the systematic issues and, and as much as I love learning all the technical skills and, and how to care for somebody, you know, the, the human rights aspect of it, the reproductive justice component to it is like what really mm. gets me going. Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman. And I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future. To honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before, and all who will come after. Jema. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today to the Mother the Mother podcast. I'm McLean McGowan, your host. And I hope that everyone had a beautiful holiday week or days with their families or not with their families. Whichever way fills you up, do it. Um, now I feel like it's a quick, quick downhill slope fall into Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa. Wrapping up this year, 2019, lots of things, lots of things. I've been really noticing what milestones I reached this year, which ones I didn't quite meet, which ones I've let go of. It's always like a really nice time to take stock and not in a judgmental way of just really looking at your life and almost looking at your life that you're living as a business or as your business, which it really is, right? It's our business. Looking at the things that worked and that didn't work and every business does that. And so it's it's kind of like a nice way to let go of what's not working and really intentionally call in what needs a little bit more help and guidance. And we're in this place as parents and mothers, especially, where I feel like we're always in an up level, you know, up leveling your relationship, your marriage, your partnership, up leveling your relationship with your kids. They're constantly in a new development. And as you know, when your kids grow and go through their own development, it's very, very common to get triggered and re triggered of those points of your life. So for example, when things in my own life as a child at five and six were really big and poignant, when my daughter reached five and six, I was subconsciously very re-triggered by those things. And so it's just, it's like an ongoing journey. It never really ends and it takes a lot of energy and patience and mindfulness. So I've just been looking at all of those things. Obviously, we've moved out of Scorpio season, which I felt was really awesome this year. And it's also kind of nice to be in Sagittarius land now because I feel like there's so much death and fire and rebirth in Scorpio season, which is always my favorite, but it's also super intense. So I'm kind of now happy to be on the other side. I do feel like kind of a different person in a weird way. I feel with my Panchakarma and my birthday and some real up-leveling in my marriage and, and 
our partnership and parenting, there's just been like a lot of good positive change. But with positive change often comes uncomfortable stuff and fire and anger and fighting and all of those things, which helped propel us into the new level, right? So you kind of have to have that to get pushed into the new upgraded, better situation. So I'm happy to be in Sagland. And um, I was just reading Danny Beinstein's download for this month. And it was very specific to the positivity for Sagittarius rising. So I'm excited about that because I am that. So looking forward to a lot of goodness and good business stuff coming my way. And getting ready for 2020. I'm psyched. So what else is going on? I am definitely going to be expanding in 2020. Expansion is actually my word of choice for 2019. And I'm now figuring out my word or words for my mantra for 2020. I think I've landed on them, but not quite ready to share. Kind of feels like a little secretive just because I'm Scorpio. Like I kind of like to keep it under wraps of just the words that light me up because it doesn't really matter what anyone else's word or mantra is. It's just what lights you up within your own being. And sometimes I just, I don't want like other people's opinions, even if they're positive or negative. I just want to do my own thing. But anyway, I do feel like for 2019, my word being expansion, I do feel like I've really expanded and it's continuing. So it's just learning to hold more space and set up my family and routine and childcare and all of that to support the expansion. Because as a mom, you can't just peace out to go do your own thing. And, you know, no matter how much we put into our business and our work energetically, if you don't actually have the person or people holding it down while you're away from your kids, it's not sustainable. So I just really want to honor that. I actually posted that on IGTV today and I look so wrecked. (laughs) After 10 days home with my kids, I look wrecked today and so exhausted. But just that, that feeling of always having to be on top of childcare if you're a working parent and how non-working parents need childcare also, if not just as much because it's the hardest job to be home with your kids every single day, day in, day out. So just, you know, speaking to the different people that have been reaching out to me via Instagram, via online, um, via my website. And just it's a topic that I speak to my mom friends about almost daily, if not daily, because it is a huge thing to figure out your childcare and what you can afford, what works with your schedule, uh, where you really need it in your day. Because sometimes we think we need it one part of the day and it's actually when you dissect it, it's like completely other time of the day and then finding help that works with that. A lot of times it's working with your partner to help them understand that you need more support. Um, and being a mom, and especially if you know, you're trying to be an entrepreneur or start a business or dip your toe back into the work field, it's not just hours in, hours out. We're doing so much extra work that isn't really seen or acknowledged. The dentist appointments, the orthodontist, the grocery shopping, the researching the vitamins, the researching the new doctors to go to, to researching the eczema patch that your daughter has. It's endless. And those hours are our work day because there are babies, there are children. 
And that is a huge part of our work. So finding the other people or person that can step in and really hold down your home and your kids and cook and clean and do whatever needs to support your life is a lot. It's a lot to figure out. And I don't know if we ever really have it figured out. I see it with people that can afford all types of childcare and I see it with people that have no childcare. So there isn't this like one easy pad answer. And today I'm, I'm deep in it, looking at our childcare and a beloved, uh, beloved nanny and uh, caregiver. And, you know, things change and there is need for improvement and up-leveling. And my husband and I are really wading through the, the discomfort of that today and trying to figure out how to make adjustments. And what that really looks like. So I'm in it with you. But I feel like this is a real conversation that needs more light shown on it because it is a huge part of the mother brain that we don't really talk about. So I am going to do a podcast on it. I think it's really important. I want to dig a lot deeper into it. And please, if you have thoughts or insights, please DM me at Mother the Mother. Uh, I'd really like to know your thoughts and also what you're needing around this for support. What else? Other than that, I'm still ongoing doing my motherhood coaching sessions. Wherever you live in this world, we can get on Zoom or Skype or FaceTime. And I'm working with women preconception, pregnancy, postpartum, and on into motherhood. So really finding the, the place where you need support right now and also working with couples. If you guys want to do it together, we can mix and match. You do your solos and then also with couples. So there are lots of ways to work this to find the perfect support for you. And um, you can email me about that, McLean at motherthemother.com, M-C-L-E-A-N at motherthemother.com. Also doing uh, private counseling for grief and loss. Um, as many of you know, I am a trained death doula or death midwife. And um, I do think down the line in my life, I will be working more with people at the end of their lives. I feel very called to do that. But for right now, since I'm so immersed in the birth world, really holding space for people that have miscarriage or pregnancy loss or abortion or stillbirth or have babies that have passed. And also just counseling if you are grieving and you've lost a parent or a partner or a friend or a spouse or siblings. So also know I'm here for that as well. And I'm looking forward in 2020 to be traveling, to be teaching a lot more workshops. And then I'm also going to be launching online stuff. Dot, dot, dot. So I'm very excited to share that as that comes to more completion. And um, this episode is with a friend and colleague and someone that really inspires me, Clancy McCarty, who many of you probably know from Every Mother Counts. She has been working with them for 10 plus years and was a producer with them and helped produce the No Mother, I mean, No Woman, No Cry film that Chrissy Turlington directed and also produced. But Clancy started working with them early on and she's the director-producer of Giving Birth in America, 
which is um, shown on CNN. I think you can go to CNN.com and also Every Mother Counts to find the videos, but she is a real deal woman for the rights of women all around the world. And I just loved sitting down to talk with her. I met her, I guess, three years ago when she moved to LA from New York. We met through Every Mother Counts. I was signed up to run the LA Marathon and I did run the LA Marathon, but I ran for Every Mother Counts. So we met through one of her work colleagues and um, she just moved here. So anyway, I'm just really grateful that she is in LA and she's become part of the birth world. And she's now currently studying to be a nurse and then a midwife. And um, she's a filmmaker and an artist and just a real light beam and intelligent young woman who is here to make changes and make the world better. So I'm honored that she had the time to come sit down with me over Thanksgiving week. You can follow her on Instagram at Clancy McCarty, M-C-C-A-R-T-Y. After our talk, she did inspire me to start running again. By the way, this was five days ago. So, you know, in true Scorpio style, I'm like all or nothing. I haven't been running in years. And then the next day I was like, I'm going to go run the turkey trot, the 5K down the street from me. Very, very humbling. So sore, so slow, but felt good to do. And then I, of course, stayed up till midnight, like Googling marathons that I could do, even though I vowed I would never, ever do a marathon again. So anyway, she just, she amped me up just talking about it because it is so beautiful how Every Mother Counts has taken on the action of marathon running as a representative of what women have to do, how they have to walk off in those long distances just to get prenatal care or to go birth their babies. So the running has been a really great fundraising part of Every Mother Counts. And I just have so much respect for them, for Christy Turlington to start, for for starting this amazing platform that is helping so many women around the world. And just creating a platform for people to have these conversations. And through the running, people that would be totally unaware of women across the world, what they were going through, are able to share it in their own communities because they're raising money to run their marathons. And then it's sparking all these conversations amongst the women, friends, their partners, the men in their lives. It's just, it's really beautiful how it's, um, these conversations are spreading one person at a time. So mad props up to all of them. And I hope you enjoy the listen. Um, Something, a side note that I am playing with is taking this podcast instead of weekly down to biweekly just to support my own time, my work time and my family time as I do expand into the things I was talking about for 2020. It all takes a lot of energy and time and I really only work four days a week. So I'm home with my kids for the weekends and then one day during the week. So I really, you know, kind of am half day with the kid and half day doing all my emails and bills and other online stuff, you know, following up with clients, all of that jazz. But as far as like in-home working with clients and the coaching, so just... I'm trying to be more mindful of my energy and 
this podcast is completely my baby and my mission and my passion. And I want it to always be that way. I don't want to feel like I have to hustle and be stressed and be like fitting in one other person to interview just to do it. I really want it to be a place of important information that is shared from a calm, loving space. And I'm thinking if I reduce it down to every other week, it'll just open up a little bit more energy in my own field and I can bring it in a more um, kind of energetically filled way. But I'm still a little on the fence about it. So there'll be more announcements about that. But I'm just putting that out there. I feel like all moms are so inundated with podcasts anyway and information and reading. And I don't even know how many of you out there are listening every week. If you want to weigh in on that, you could DM me on Instagram. That would be awesome to get some feedback. But if it really doesn't matter, then I'm totally down to just do every other week. But if it does really matter, that will give me some pause before making that decision. Because I do want to keep the energy growing and the growth growing. And I don't want to stop now or pull back now and have it negatively affect the momentum that we're creating and co-creating together. So actually would love that feedback if you feel like doing that. Thank you. And, um, you know, as my mantra always goes, I can always course correct. So we'll see. I can always make one decision. And then a couple months later, I can make another decision. Nothing is written in stone. We all have ownership of our lives. There's always a way through every block. I truly do believe that. And I do think that You know, if we can shift the lens sometimes, because I know, I mean, believe me, I know sometimes you get in a situation, whether it's with your partner or a big decision about your kids or your family or schools or medical freedom or, you know, all of those huge things that feel so insurmountable. But usually, if we can bring a little bit of love and patience and like kind of take just a little of that energy off the pressure kicker we can shift our perspective slightly and open it up to allow for new possibilities to come in. It's just not going to that like habitual pattern or that habitual reaction. It's allowing for grace to come in to get new answers. So anyway, on that, I will leave you. Happy, happy holidays. Sending much love out to all of you. I hope that throughout this holiday season, you can find more ways to find peace and nervous system regulation and carving out those moments, those minutes, those hours, those days where you can really focus on your own healing, especially if you're a new mother. Please just give yourself a break. You don't have to have it all figured out. Those first months, let alone that first year, let alone that first two years and on. But really, you're still so in it the first two years, which sounds like a long time, but it's just true. I mean, looking back on hindsight, I wish that I'd really gotten it through my thick skull that I didn't have to have all the answers figured out immediately because I just put so much added pressure and suffering on my plate with my first child for years. And I really wish that I just believed in myself and had the forethought and trusted my intuition to know that it would truly all play out in divine timing because I do believe that and it does. And when you get in that flow, you don't have to like freak out. 
you just get in the flow and energy begets energy and you really call in the things you need to call in and your your new work, your new career, it all kind of starts to line up when you're actually following what your mission is, what you're really here on this planet to do this lifetime. And, you know, we get so stuck in our head about these shoulds versus what maybe deep down inside we know is calling us, but we're too scared to look at. So I just hope that in whatever ways you can find those moments to come back to yourself, to truly listen to your heart, to your soul, to your inner guidance, to know what your next steps need to be. And also enjoy your life. Enjoy this season. Enjoy your family. Enjoy yourself because that's why we're all here. Sending love out to all of you. Jema. Hi, Clancy. Hi, McLean. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I've been wanting to have you on for a while. It's great to sit down with you. And um, let's see, when did we meet? A couple years ago. Right when I moved here. Which was when? 2015. When Kristen moved. Oh my gosh, yeah. Or was it the Big Sur? It was when Kristen was here and was, we were Yeah, Big you Sur just Marathon. done the Big Sur. It's like 2016. I was like, how are you guys walking? You just did the Big Sur. <laughs> what, it was a marathon? Yeah. <laughs> so crazy. I know. That one looks gnarly too. It is the gnarliest one, but it's the best one. Mm. It was the most fun. I loved mm. it. I would, I would do that one again. And I don't think I'd do any of the other ones again. <laughs> wow. So that was for Every Mother Counts. Mm-hmm. So just a quick recap because you have a long lineage at Every Mother Counts. But tell us how you got with them, aligned with them, because you were so young. I was, yeah, I was right out of college, um, 22 years old, and that was 11 years ago. And I was working in documentary film, and that's what I wanted to do was documentary film. And I was introduced to Christy Turlington Burns because Mm -hmm. she was actually starting her first documentary film, um, really trying to analyze maternal health globally and maternal mortality and morbidity. Mm -hmm. And she had actually experienced a complication following the birth of her daughter, um, which was a postpartum hemorrhage. So she was um, wanting to make a film to kind of learn about the Mm -hmm. issues that women face in pregnancy and childbirth and then also use that as a tool to educate audiences mm-hmm. about this at the time, really little known issue that is really problematic around the world. Yeah. So I was very fortunate to get on that film project with her. And we spent two years really learning the ins and outs of uh, maternal health and That's traveling. So amazing. Yeah. Traveling the world, meeting with pregnant women and you know midwives and doctors and policymakers and prime ministers and really trying to understand these issues. And then we finished the film in 2010. And the film was called No Woman, No Cry. And it went on to premiere at uh, the Tribeca Film Festival and went on to the OWN network. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, I left because I wanted to continue with documentary films. And Christy uh, launched the nonprofit Every Mother Counts. Mm -hmm. And that was to really continue educating audiences on these issues and using the film as a tool. So she was traveling all over showing this film and holding panel discussions and doing Q&As. And I mean, I feel like we screened that film. I think it went to 120 countries, I remember, around that time. So I'm sure, you know, it's just expanded and she was just on the road with it. And so I had left and she continued to be in touch and I actually continued to freelance with Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. 
um, because they were returning to the countries that we had already filmed in. And I had had that background and knew how to produce those trips and, wow. you know, that roster of people that we've, we've been working with. And then I realized, wait, this is my community. <laughs> These are the people that I felt really connected to and really inspired by their work. Um, so I asked to have a job with Every Mother Counts. And I think, so at that point I was 24 and a half, 25. Wow. Um, That's so incredible. You're like, yeah, my first, it was your first film. Yeah. At Tribeca Film Festival. I mean, that's massive. Yeah. I mean, and I was totally green to the to the business. I was, you know, brought on as a associate producer and it was just a small team. And Christy was the director and producer. And then we had this wonderful producer, Dallas Brennan Rexer, and an incredible film crew, Kristen Johnson, Wellington mm. Bowler. And Kristen's this really badass female filmmaker and DP. And I just learned everything from, wow. from her and, and the team in Dallas. I really didn't have much background. And by the end of it, I was like, you know, so obsessive and on time with everything. And just, you know, mm. it, it was really a heavy project to take on. And we were such a small team. Yeah. So then I stuck with Every Mother Counts and we were a really small team too. It was me, Christine, and an executive director, um, Aaron Thornton. And uh, we just tried to figure out how to be a nonprofit and what mm. to do. And we developed into a much bigger nonprofit and became a grant giving organization and continue to raise awareness about maternal health and support community led organizations mm -hmm. similar to the ones that we featured in No Woman No Cry, including the ones that we feature in those films that provide services to pregnant women and, um, you know, continue training and educating healthcare providers around the world and in the U.S. Um, so, so incredible. Yeah, it's been 10 years that the organization's been around and Wow. Doing great. <laughs> and that's just such a beautiful testament to, you know, women supporting women, mm -hmm. just starting with such a small thing. And I love that Christy, you know, took her own experience because hemorrhage happens. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's quite common, but a lot of women around the world are dying from it, mm -hmm. you know? So it's just out of that, it's beautiful that she's created this whole thing and livelihood for a lot of people. Yeah. And support. Yeah. And I think she always said it really well that. She had a great team in place during her pregnancy mm. and birth and mm. um, everything had been really seamless. And then she delivered her daughter and then this hemorrhage happened. And like you hear from so many women, what is this? <laughs> Why is this yeah. happening? Um, even with all the education and yeah. research and, you know, while you're in that moment, it's things surprise you and can mm -hmm. be dangerous. And luckily yeah. she had a great team in place to manage it. Like, you know, we hopefully do have, but a lot of women don't have those the yeah. services. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny just listening to that. It's not funny, but I don't think she technically called it a hemorrhage, but I had a huge amount of blood loss after Goldie at home, you know, beautiful home birth and placenta came out fine, but still the amount of blood was so insane that like my midwife was literally like dragging me across the bathroom on the bath mat to the bed and then IVs for hours. Yeah. You know, so it's just, you never know. It can be like the most incredible elated birth and then things happen on the other side. And not to scare people, but you just, you have to know that these things exist and be aware. Yeah. And that you have the trust in your provider, regardless yeah. of the home birth midwife or, you know, doctor exactly. in a hospital that they know how to manage that situation. Yeah. And it can be hours later. I mean, mine was hours later. She, my midwife was gone. Like I was like, okay, I'll done wrap that up. And then, you know, she had to come back and same in hospitals, you know, it can be days later. In so weeks. Just, yeah, in weeks. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've never met Christy, but she just seems like such an incredible woman inside and out. She's such a gorgeous. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> did you go to a film school? No, I, I mean, I, I went to NYU, which was obviously a huge yeah. um, film component and film school there, but I did not go to the film mm. school. I went to an individualized studies program there called Gallatin mm, and yeah. you create your own major and I went to Hampshire, so. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> I know that. <laughs> but I did, um, in creating my own major, incorporated documentary film and took oh. film classes. Um, but I didn't know I wanted to do that until my senior year. I actually had a fashion background, and that oh. was my uh, interesting my goal. <laughs> but you are born and raised in Malibu? I'm born and raised in Malibu. My family did move to New York when I was a child, and we did live there for several years, and my family continued to work between gotcha. New York and L.A., but primarily raised here in LA. Cool. Yeah. Best I lived, of both worlds. I know. But I did live in New York for 11 years mm. um, mm-hmm. as I became an adult. Nice. I came back Do you there. miss it? I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't miss the struggle of living there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I love not having to carry groceries and walk up flights of stairs mm-hmm. and be cold. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I miss everybody there. The excitement, the networking, the, you know, they, so many things happen. You really feel like you're mm-hmm. in the, the thick of the mm-hmm. action. Vibrant. Yeah. And my friends are just incredible there. Mm-hmm. I miss mm-hmm. them. And then, okay, so t- give me a little trajectory because you've done many films now. Mm-hmm. And you just had a screening, which I got to go to, which was so beautiful. And I'd seen, I think, one or two, but then there was a new one. So, can you kind of just explain what you've put out into the world and where we can find them? Yeah. So I guess I'll just give also a little bit of background what yeah, I did please. with Every yeah. Mother Counts. Um, for a while, as we were figuring out the nonprofit, we decided to continue with the storytelling component. Mm-hmm. And so I continued making films and hiring these badass female DPs and filmmakers mm-hmm. um, to collaborate with. And we would go back into all the countries that we were working in and make um, short films uh, to, sh- to highlight the community organizations that we had partnered with and the work that they were doing and just also to overall t- touch on the maternal health situation there and pregnant women's experiences and the healthcare providers' experiences. Um, and so we made short films about the countries we were in and then we continued with a series uh, called Giving Birth in America mm. to highlight why the U.S. is doing so poorly in maternal health care. Um, because the U.S. is mm. is the worst yeah. developed country to give birth in for many reasons. And so we wanted to do a series to highlight the multitude of those reasons. Um, so it's a six-part series as of now, and I think it's going to continue. And it's called Giving Birth in America. And we partnered with CNN to put Amazing. out the films. Yeah. So you'll keep doing that? Well, I won't, but... Okay, <laughs> I well, think you started it. You created it. <laughs> yeah, you did, birthed it. I did it. six of the films. Um, <laughs> and uh, we just finished our most recent one, which was in New Mexico. And that was mm. the last one I did. And that was really special to me because it was about home birth and midwives. Mm. Um, and each of, the, each of the films follows a different type of provider, doctors, high-risk maternal fetal specialists, um, family practice doctors, uh, doulas, nurse midwives, uh, certified professional midwives. So it's, it wow. features a range and Incredible. then different topics. And so, yeah, so that that screening that you came to, so nice of you to come. Mm, of course. Um, it was really special because what we do with these films besides have them uh, online is we really encourage communities to host their own screenings mm. and then assemble the local mm. maternal health organizations and continue the dialogue and discuss what the 
issues and challenges are in those those communities. So mm-hmm. it's been so important to have the the person to person experience. Yeah, you know, and it was so nice coming to that in the Q and A, and then having the care providers also because you know we we can and. I'm 100% this person, like I can really demonize institutions and the situation. And so it is really helpful and beneficial to know kind of why people's hands are tied or like how within the system we can work on the system. Yeah. And I do think a lot of it comes down to us. You know, it comes down to each woman being her own advocate and like that sucks, but it's the reality. You know, we have to do our due diligence and educate ourselves. And a lot of these providers have to partner together. I mean, you know, and yeah. I think with each one and the impact they have in their own little network mm-hmm. and community working together, you make it more accessible mm-hmm. for women to get a hold of. Totally. We all know how difficult it is to find a midwife in your community, to find a doctor that you relate to or a doula yeah. that you relate to. Yeah. So true. Even in LA, it's like we have so much at our disposal or we have so many great, you know, care providers on, on one hand and still it's really challenging to find. I mean, I can't find an OB to save my life that like I really like. So I just keep going to my midwife. I just am not going to go to an OB. I know. Even female ones. I'm not, the ones that are like highly recommended, I'm like, mm-mm, not connecting. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I've been living here for four years and I just this year stopped seeing my nurse midwife in New York because mm. we had, yeah. you know, the conference. <laughs> She's like, okay, you need to find somebody yeah, in LA. Right. And I was still going back to New York for work um, with the EMC and and I was like, oh, it's so hard to have to yeah, find no. and start with somebody new. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I, I go to Davey Calso. Oh, yeah. She was your, so she was mm-hmm. delivered. Yeah. I just love her so much. I haven't met her, but I have heard so much about mm-hmm. her and a lot of my friends love mm-hmm. her. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren Drew. What up, Lauren? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Shout out. Yeah. I know. Okay. So you're at MC for 10 years. 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. And then what told you it was time to move on? Well, I think the first step was moving out of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really hard to admit that I needed to move on in my life from Every Mother Counts. It really made up my 20s, like mm-hmm. my whole you know adult existence. Really, I owed it to them. And I knew I wanted to... I had it in the back of my head that I, I needed to become a midwife. Mm-hmm. I think that since I started... Um, filming midwives and working with them. And uh, in my first experience meeting a midwife in Bangladesh and then the great relationships that I'd formed here in the U.S. I just, as much as I loved filming these stories, I actually just wanted to be in on the action, wow. <laughs> not a fly on the wall anymore. Mm. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So I think LA was the first step to kind of clear my head. And I quickly started with the prerequisite phase, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if anyone's gone back to nursing school as an adult who already has a, an undergraduate degree, but it's a pretty intense process. Can you nutshell it? Because I know there are going to be people listening to this that want to go down this road. Yeah. So you, they have the, because of a sh- the shortage of nurses that exist, they have these accelerated bachelor's programs for mm-hmm. bachelor's of science and nursing programs for um, nurses. And it's usually a one or two year program. And you need to spend about two years doing prerequisites. And that's really just kind of catching up on basic anatomy, physiology, microbiology, just these, Mm. Mm -hmm. it really feels like you're going back to high school. (laughs) Um, So I was doing that full time. Well, I mean, while working full time um, and then taking night classes uh, and trying to compile where to apply. Um, And it's, I just wish that somebody had a 
and I should have just done this with my friends in the same process, like putting out a website of this is mm. the process of what it means to go back to school to become a nurse midwife um, or a CPM, which I also was, you know, debating um, doing that route. And all these schools, nursing schools have different prerequisites, requirements. So you really have mm. to kind of figure out what schools need what and make sure you cover all your bases. You can apply to a variety of schools. Wow, so after, that's annoying. Yeah, it's pretty annoying. And some schools reject the other prerequisites. Mm. Wow. <laughs> uh, but I, I digress. And so then uh, we, uh, or me, I would say we, because I had another friend who was in the same process. Um, we applied to schools and then, you know, you get rejected, you get accepted. And I was really fortunate to get into this one-year accelerated program here in LA, Mount St. Mary's. Um, and has I was introduced to the program because there's an incredible nurse midwife who runs the OB department. Mm. So she would be my professor and my clinical instructor, and she's incredible, Sarah Sheely. So I was really sold on the the school. Wow. Where is that? Is it in LA proper? Yeah, there's actually the there's two campuses. Mm. The downtown campus was is where I am, and that is kind of like the graduate campus. And then the undergrad is the it's by the Getty in mm. Brentwood. Um, and yeah, so the, pro- they're, they're known as being a nursing school, though it's a liberal arts institution now too, but they have an cool. undergraduate nursing program. The cool. Go to. Yeah. So now I'm doing that. And I decided obviously with EMC it was very flexible with me going back to school. Mm. So, you know, I finished my work and I had the start date and I started this year. And then the plan is to eventually get my master's in midwifery. Wow. So what does that look like? So you have, you have, you had to do the prerequisites. Mm-hmm. Then you're now in nursing school for this year. Yeah, and then you have how many other years? So to do the masters. Yeah, it's a, it's a two year masters program. Okay. Um, LA doesn't have a midwifery school. Fullerton, Cal State Fullerton has one, and then UCSF is the other school in California that has the masters program, but it also has a three year direct entry program. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I'm most likely going to stay in LA, although I still might move, I will work for a couple of years or a year as a labor and delivery nurse before taking the master's because then I can do it online. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. So would you work as a nurse and then do classes online or is it, is that, too, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think so. <laughs> I know, I know, like I know people, like, I know people do that. Being um, a nurse, what's that like? Being a student? Yeah. Being a student. Being a student is, I love being in school. I didn't know that I would love being in school. I didn't know that I would enjoy the academic portion of it. I was worried that my brain wouldn't retain information anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> since I hadn't been in school in like 15 years. But that part came actually really naturally and I just love soaking up all the information. Being a student in clinical, I found very difficult because you they throw you in like no, you know, you really just get thrown in with barely any skills. And they're like, here's your patient, take care of your patient. And we started off in, um, you know, general med surge is what they call it a situation where you're, you know, you're with pretty sick, sick individuals and not feeling like confident in the skills to take Mm. care of them. It was pretty hard. Mm. Also, it was so far from what I thought I was going to be doing, you know, which is caring for pregnant women or Mm -hmm. moms and, it's been a, a big learning curve and I've learned so much. I mean, for sure. But I think being a student and kind of struggling with what your role is in that environment and how much you can do and also just observing. My eyes are just mm. so wide at the end of the day. I've just been staring and so trying to- So much information. So much. It's exhausting. Um, yeah. 
But I, I mean, like filmmaking, it's so special to be in, in people's mm-hmm. lives like that and have that insight um, where you just don't get it. I mean, it's a privilege to be able to, to work mm-hmm. with people in that situation. Mm-hmm. Is it challenging to be in the hospitals or do you feel pretty comfortable in the hospital setting? I mean, I always considered myself very comfortable in ho- hospitals just based off of my backgrounds, uh, spending so much time in them. But it's different being in these big, mm. shiny, fancy hospitals um, that are in LA. Um, I'm so grateful that they exist, you know, like UCLA and all that. Mm. But I'm, I'm definitely, I think, more used to the community experience and being in community hospitals and yeah. kind of smaller um, institutions. Uh, so do you think you'll be a certified midwife, like a nurse? What is that called? Certified nurse, <laughs> midwife. Yeah, so you've got... Um. <laughs> my latest film touches on this. Um, so you have certified uh, professional midwives and nurse midwives. And um, a certified professional midwife does not have the nursing background, but has gone to a midwifery school, midwifery school and is an expert. So that's like home birth midwives. CPM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They primarily do home births. Um, and the challenge is that they're not federally recognized. Mm-hmm. It's a state-by-state basis, which is really unfortunate because uh, they are experts in, yeah. in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And you know, insurance can be complicated uh, in covering mm-hmm. their work. But then you have certified nurse midwives who do have the nursing background and do work in hospitals as well as home birth mm-hmm. and just are a little bit more in the system of recognition. But, um, you know... It's, I wouldn't at all ever trust one or the other based off, I mean, they're both. It's really person to person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you will be a nurse. I will be a nurse midwife. Yeah. So you'll be in the hospitals. Or Uh, homebirth. Yeah. I I could do either. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think homebirth is a a challenge in itself, running Mm -hmm. a homebirth business. Yeah. Um, or running a birth center. There's many barriers to that, which is unfortunate because I wish there was, you know, know, more of those options so for women. Yeah. The system makes it so complicated. And not all hospitals hire midwives. And I think that that's also the big challenge is finding that um, synergy between the current healthcare mm-hmm. staff and incorporating midwives into their practice. Yeah. If you had to nutshell it, I mean, we all need to see all your movies to get a wider scope of it. But if you had just to say like a couple of things, why do you think the U.S. is so horrible in, you know, our care? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely complex. And I always, um, you know, go to one of the issues that I'm obviously passionate about is that we don't have enough midwives Mm -hmm. (laughs) available Mm -hmm. to run our maternity care. I mean, you look at countries that are doing really excellent in maternal health, like the Northern European countries, and those are primarily midwifery run Mm -hmm. uh, maternity um, units in the hospitals and and at home. So, uh, I think incorporating more midwives into home, into birth birthing care here in the U.S. would make a huge difference. Mm. But then you also have these other instances of you know over medicalization. You have insurance barriers. Mm. Insurance can be a nightmare for many women, yeah. especially many pregnant women. Not all states you know provide coverage for women, and California luckily does do that. But it also comes within its limitations. Yeah. You know, and then you have a lot of chronic illnesses that are on the rise and morbidities associated mm-hmm. with obesity. Um, and, and, and that's also, I know, a real challenge for, for providers. Um, and uh, I think just the kind of 
the closing of institutions as well. I mean, you just have hospitals that are closing and, and merging and the lack of providers that people feel connected to and confident in in, in their birth. But mm. overall, I would say over medicalization, chronic illness, um, insurance barriers, mm. and a lack of midwives. Yeah. Yeah. We only have, I think it's 10% of births that are covered by midwives here in the U.S. And you have to be such a warrior, I feel like, to be a midwife, you know, because there's so many things against you. Mm-hmm. The system just works against you. And so not only are you doing this powerful, exhausting, you know, emotionally draining work also, but then you're dealing with insurance bullshit mm-hmm. constantly and then, you know, kind of being thrown under the bus by our institutions. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of colleagues and friends who are on a similar path as me. And I just had... um an old intern who's an L&D nurse now with the goal of becoming a midwife. And she's like, the liability associated with being a mm-hmm. midwife, I mean, obstetrics in general is so much, you know, malpractice against it. And, um, and insurance is so high. And she's like, I don't know if I want to continue for that reason. Yeah. Which is so sad. I know. The whole system just needs to change. It's like, there has to be some change in the system so that then we can really change the system. So mm-hmm. it's like that catch 22. Yep. But it's awesome that you're doing that and going for it. I have such mad props for all midwives. It's just, it's so baller, you know, they're showing up that way. Yeah. And then so many of the midwives that, you know, we know, and I've been working with for a long time are really huge activists. Yeah. I mean, in addition to caring, you know, providing know. direct care on during the day, they're like going to, you know, Capitol yeah. Hill or to their local governments and really trying to change the system at the same time and yeah and it's it, it's incredible but it's just so much work it's that they're so doing much output yeah mm-hmm. it's incredible yeah so where do you see your career going I mean if you could I mean I know what you just shared about becoming a midwife but do you still want to be making films about it or do you think the film part is kind of in the background now or I don't know. I mean, I think about it a lot. I now realize that this process is going to take a little bit longer than I hoped mm-hmm. it would. Of becoming a midwife? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I had started this five years ago, it would have been, in, or I guess I did start it five years ago. But if I had if really started school five years mm-hmm. ago, it would have, it would have been a different story. But just being in my mid-30s, I think it's going to take a little bit longer. But um, I... I do see this, the part that really gets me going is the big picture stuff, you know, the systematic issues and, and as much as I love learning all the technical skills and, and how to care for somebody, you know, the, the human rights aspect of it, the reproductive justice component to it is like what really mm. gets me going um, and what I just love learning about. And I do see myself working in some component of policy and research later on. Um, so I'm curious. I'm really curious like how much of an actual direct patient provider I will be. Because um, you know so much too from your work at EMC and all your filmmaking. So I mean, please come change policy. <laughs> change the world, Clancy. Yeah, I really... You, you have so much experience and knowledge, you know? And I think what EMC has just been so brilliant at is creating this network mm-hmm. of of providers and mm-hmm. and activists and women who are speaking out, you know, on, on behalf of these issues. And I think just having that connection to all these different people involved, it's, it's special. And I really want to utilize yeah. that and be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have that network. You, you have a, a starting place. Yeah. 
And just to back it up, back to EMC and the running. So can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think that's been such a cool, that's how we met. Mm -hmm. It's been a cool implementation of education by getting this information out to people that were totally unaware through running and like fitness, which is kind of random. But how did all that start? Um, Let's see. I think it was in, I think 2011. Yeah, 2011. Um, So we had really just launched as an organization and I think it was a a classmate of Christy's daughter's dad who worked for the um, the New York City Marathon mm. and they have a huge charity component. Um, they do really well with getting charities involved and having people run for money um, mm. for those charities. And he had given us some spots to Every Mother Counts and said, do you guys want to you know, be a charity this year? And it was very small. I think it was only 10 spots and there was no way I was running a marathon. I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, dun, dun, dun. but but Christy and and a few of our close um, you know colleagues and and advocates ran that marathon, um, and I just remember being at the finish line watching them like just mm-hmm. crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's so beautiful to see mm-hmm. people complete a marathon, um, and so it was such a success that we just continued to grow with our marathon running um, and these teams. And we just kept, I think we, so we started at 10 runners in 2011. And I think now they're around 70 or 90 runners on our New York City wow. team. Amazing. And then we've got a community of runners because it is such a universal mm-hmm. thing running. Mm-hmm. And um, it became, so we have a community of runners all around the world and it became such a great tie-in to the mission of the organization which yeah. a lot of our um, work is around transportation barriers. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one of the significant barriers women face, especially in developing countries, but also here. I mean, I come across it all the time that women don't have a ride to their prenatal visit, so they're just not going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we also had this tie-in in developing countries where we work, where women, we would hear, were walking five, eight miles, you know, to get, to their clinics. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you have to travel essentially like the length of a marathon to get to emergency care. Mm. So it it just really made sense. And so many people became involved and it's a good way to get people involved in the work Mm -hmm. that we do. Um, Because it's, you know, it can be a challenge if you're not a healthcare provider to come and go volunteer for an organization. Um, And so this has just been wonderful. And I shortly, uh, I think I ran... Yeah, the following year. Um, oh. Were you a runner? No. <laughs> wow, because now I just no. think of you as such a runner. Yeah, it's crazy. I really became obsessed with it and competitive with mm. it. And it's such a high. Mm. And you you really do when you're tied into something that you care yeah. about. It's like so ins- inspiring and motivating. Mm-hmm. And it's been so great because I've been able to run and travel to the communities that we work and the so countries cool. we work and go run races there. And So meaningful. Yeah. How many marathons have you done now? Uh, five. But I have not run in about seven months because of school, mm-hmm. um, which I feel fine about. Yeah. Yeah. I find LA a challenging running mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. Um, and would, you, would you all run together in New York? Oh, yeah. That's we, so awesome. Huge it's just like team. part of your work. That's yeah. So cool. It was really nice. Community. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great community. Yeah. So I think that's so just poignant of having a real reason to run because I'm not technically a runner. I've not been running much at all, but I did do the LA Marathon injured, which was, you know, questionable. (laughs) But um, it really, I was so committed to 
the reason why. And I was like, oh my God, like this, is, yeah, my knee's hurting, but like women are walking to give birth marathon links, you know? And it really just puts everything in perspective. It's like, suck it up, McLean. Like you can do this, you know? Totally. I, I always, in so many of my training runs and in marathons, I was like, I could easily just give up right now, mm-hmm. but I just don't have an excuse. Yeah. There's real no justification. Yeah. Um, and then raising money, you know, and it's it's beautiful too that you're, everyone that's doing it is creating community because you're getting money from the people that you love, your family, your friends that then feel they're part of it. Mm-hmm. And then their eyes are open to what's going on in the birth world, you know? So it's just this beautiful kind of um, cohesion. Yeah. I mean, I've had people come out of the woodworks being like, hey, can I join the team? Mm, you know, like these friends so cool. that I never really thought would be interested. And it's just been, yeah, it's been really beautiful to, to see it form and how successful it's been. And we have mm. these ambassadors all mm. over the country who have their own communities, local communities that are running and holding local races. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, now it gets me all fired up. I know. It always sounds so good. Yeah. I'll just go run a marathon. I but mean, then like, Oy. you live in the perfect running. I mean, I would come here and go run along the beach. Yeah, I know. Maybe I'll give it another go. Because I do cry. Whenever I see a marathon, I start crying. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it really and just is. like, uh, the the pain of people, the suffering, and they're, they're moving through it and they're doing it. Yeah. I and literally cry every year. It has such a good tie into, I think, childbirth too. Mm, and mm-hmm. I, I love the whole, yeah, to the actual act, the, the physical act of childbirth. Totally. Actually use that, just taking it back to me for a second. In Goldie Wolf's birth, the home birth, when I was in transition and I couldn't even open my eyes and I was thinking, you know, why didn't I schedule a C-section? This is bullshit. I should have been with Dr. Crane at Cedars. Like this is all going through my mind. And then I was thinking of the pain I had during the marathon. And I just, I I really summed that up. And I was like, I got through that pain. I can get through this pain, you know? And it, so it really helped me. Totally. So sometimes suffering is beautiful and helpful. Because mm-hmm. yeah, the only way is like, is through. I mean, you can quit, but with childbirth, you have to get through it one way or the other. And you know you can get through it. You know yeah. that there's an end to this. Yeah. You know, that, that you can get through that hump. Mm-hmm. I think if I didn't, if I hadn't experienced that, it's like you you always, there's always an end to this this pain. Right. Um, I yeah. think that's really helpful for people to, to know. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, because the next day I was like, fine. Which is so weird. And that day actually was so crazy. I was supposed to meet with Kristen because we're going to do like a post-marathon lunch, which I was like, that that's questionable too because we have to get in a car and drive, you know? But I mustered up and I, I, I got halfway to the restaurant and I got to Venice and there was no parking. And I was like, I can't, I cannot deal with this. I just ran a fucking marathon. So I went back home. And she was like, yeah, that was the worst idea ever. No, oh. one, no one showed up. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so glad I did it. It was a really... It was a really cool thing that I'll have the rest of my life. So where have you run your marathons? Uh, I did. My first one was New York City, which, I mean, it's the most exciting to be mm. in New York because of how much the city comes alive with it. But mm-hmm. it was probably the worst. <laughs> they make you get there so early. Mm. You wait you around. You to wait for hours, You right? wait for hours and you're freezing. Um, and it's a hard course. Yeah. I mean, it really was hard. And I think I had every type of weather hit that that time. Mm-hmm. Um but then I did Chicago after that, which was the opposite. It was like kind of a breeze. I just mm. went through it, shaved 20 minutes off my time. Damn. Yeah, it's a really easy, not easy, but it's like a flat, mellow course. 
Mm, maybe I'll do that one. Yeah. I'll do another one. Um, My brother and sister-in-law live in Chicago. So oh, yeah. That's a perfect excuse. You should totally do it then. What else? Oh, then, then I did Big Sur. Mm. Um, oh, I actually kind of, well, this is, I, I, New York, the first year that we were going to do it got canceled because of um, Hurricane Sandy. Oh. They canceled the marathon two days before. So some of us were all pumped up. You know, we'd been um, carbo-loading for two weeks. So we ended up running our own. <laughs> we did our own marathon. So wow. my, my first 26.2 miles was um, That's pretty a road, of course. Wow. Yeah. Um, that is hilarious. <laughs> You're like, we're 10 pounds overweight in carbs. We have to run. I had to. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I did technically New York twice. Um, Chicago, Big Sur. And then I did Tokyo Oh, that's right. Oh yeah. my God. How was that? Well, it was great to go to Japan. It yeah. was my first time. I love Japan. Yeah. It was incredible. And I brought my whole family. Mm. Um, and the race, I mean, I don't know. You, you're on vacation. I was like eating and drinking. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I'm going to go run those race. Jet lagged. And <laughs> I ran that race and I just did not enjoy it. I was struggling. Mm. I honestly, afterwards I was like, something happened. Like I felt like I gave birth, like my body just broke. Uh, um, and I, oh my God. Do you have the jet lag or what? Or was it a really shitty rate? Like, was it just It wasn't race? a great course. They did these two big loops in mm. kind of the outskirts of the city, mm. um, which is confusing. Uh, and it was cold, but I was in so much pain after. Mm. And I had felt great my other marathons, except for the first New York one. But, um, at the end, Chrissy's like, let's take a photo. And we took a photo and I'm like, eh, like just dying in this photo. And she's continued to post this photo everywhere. And I'm like, Chrissy, you got to put that away. I'm just mortified. <laughs> like the veins are popping out oh of my, my neck. God. Were you injured? I wasn't injured, no. but I felt like everything hurt. like a baby came out of my body in the middle of that. Like some, mm. there's a pain I never experienced before in my life. Like, pelvic area. Wow. Ugh. Yeah. And then I was fine. Like after a couple of days you were fine? Yeah. Mm. So I actually, and I was supposed to do LA this year, but I was traveling so much when we were filming in New Mexico and then my foot kind of got swollen and I just gave up on it. Yeah. It was, it was too much. Well, it's really not smart to do if you have an injury, mm -mm. just long-term like health. No. Mm. What about London? <clears throat> did you ever do London? Um, well, I did go to London. Um, Chrissy ran mm -hmm. and, and we all went for work. Was and that the one where it was the, with the Apple Watch? Yeah, it was yeah. when we were launching mm -hmm. the Apple Watch. Um, and it's a, apparently a really great course and mm -hmm. Chrissy did really well in it. And it was really fun to be a part of as an observer. I, I'm not like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't inspire me in the same way. I think LA means a little bit more to me because I would love to just run through the city. Yeah. And I love the course. Um, it's such a great course. I loved it. I mean, just seeing the city that way yeah. really made me feel like, oh, this is my city. Exactly. And that's what and I want like, to do. A fourth of it is downhill towards the ocean, which is awesome. Yeah. How cool to start. Wait, did you start in Dodger Stadium? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then end at the ocean. Mm -hmm. That's so special. It was really cool. I would do Big Sur again. Wow. Oh, yeah. the hills. That just freaks me out. Did you walk any? No. Oh but it's actually easier mentally with the hills because each hill is like the only thing you're thinking about. You're not thinking further. Right. Whereas a flat race, you're just like, oh, this is going on forever. Forever, right. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. just finish that hill totally. onto the next. Yeah. 
I did the run walk thing. Mm-hmm. I, for, I forgot the name now because I'm so I out of the running. It's, it. it's so funny when you get into running, I got obsessed with it and like all the gear. And then now I just like, don't remember any of it. It's like completely another chapter of my life. But um, something you kind of figure out your body and what works for you. But then I would walk one minute and then run five. And it's supposed to be, you know, helps your longevity and, your, and protect your body. And it really did work for me because I just, I knew I had to do that for my knee. But it, it, you know, it helped get me through. We have a lot of our runners who do that, mm-hmm. and one of our star runners, Carrie Sokol, who's doing fifty marathons before fifty, and I think she's got only a couple marathons left. Wow! Um, in each state, she's been doing it. She does that, and she's mm-hmm. got she's now trained a bunch of our other runners oh, cool. to do it. And it's yeah, I think if you're going to run fifty marathons, you have to do yeah, something. you got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the mental too, just like I get to walk in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I can just do four more minutes of running and then I get to walk a minute, you know, yeah. like reset. I've definitely walked in races. I've done a couple of half marathons. We we would do um, races in the countries we, were, we work in. So mm. in Tanzania and in Haiti. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I've seen one of your Tanzania runs. Yeah. And we did make a, a great um, short film about it. And the last one I did was this past February. And it was so hot. Mm. And I, it was my third time running this race, but this one was just so challenging. And I I walked the last two miles. I thought I was going to die. But it's so interesting hot. that like a 13 miler becomes just as hard as a full oh, marathon. Yeah, totally. It just mentally, it's the same yeah. in my mind. Yeah. It's so interesting running that kind of distance. The last film uh, with the Maasai mm-hmm. tribe, Tell us a little, that I love that film so much. Yeah. That woman, just like the regal queen of her village. Yeah, I really, um, I love that film too. And I, I, I wonder when it's going to come out and it, and you know, be available for people to see because it's just really so mm. beautiful. We, um, me and uh, my partner Nicole McKinley Hahn is this great filmmaker that I've partnered mm. with um, on several of our last films, and actually had worked with her. She was one of the first filmmakers I had worked with when I started with EMC. We did a scout trip to Tanzania mm-hmm. and I never produced a shoot and I just sent her there. <laughs> I was like, here, can you please find some stories for oh, us? Wow. Um, and then here we are. Well, we've been to Tanzania a couple of times now together. But um, so we've been working there for a long time and there is this wonderful organization called Moido. Um, and it is run by a Maasai woman, Danini. And she... Uh, she does a lot of things. I mean, the work that she does can span to microfinance and economic development for Maasai mm-hmm. women, but then also she supports, you know, healthcare initiatives for women. And one in particular is this uh, this clinic that they have in a very rural part of uh, Tanzania um, and in Kiteto. And we did a short film about this clinic and this alliance that they have with the local traditional birth attendants. Mm. Um, and Moido goes in and also trains these birth attendants because in a lot of situations, yes, going to a clinic or to a hospital for care is obviously your best option, but to access the communities, you're going to need people from those communities mm. to really, mm-hmm. you know, encourage that relationship and, and access to high-risk care when you need it. So, we made a film about these traditional birth attendants um, in this Maasai community. And it was about like a eight hour drive, you know, from when we had flown in. And um, I had been to Tanzania many times and I had never been to this this part. And, and we were really in the middle of nowhere. And these women had just developed these midwifery collectives that they were 
working, you know, with the local clinics and making sure that any high-risk women mm-hmm. or any, not even just high-risk, like women who needed prenatal care would go to the clinic. And the clinic itself is also run by Maasai nurse midwives and nurses and doctors. So it, you know, it's this familiar connection for these women who can speak their own language, mm-hmm. you know, to the clinic, which is not the same in a lot of the communities that we work Um you know, you have indigenous communities with their own languages and then you have the medical system, which is mm. a totally different establishment yeah. and run by people not from those communities. God, it's so complicated. Yeah. That story was just really fascinating because you had these two Maasai midwives um, and they were just, yeah, like you mentioned, the queen of the villages. Mm. Like everybody knew them. They would come to them if they were pregnant and they, um, you know, they'd been delivering grandkids, you know, of women that they had delivered. It it just was a really great lineage and really so trusted. Yeah. It felt very sacred to watch and watch that, that trust and that faith in these women for delivering their babies, these women's babies. And, and also just the sisterhood of women, um, you know, which I think is sacred no matter where you live and who you are. And they were even saying, I mean, I, I can't remember all of it, but just saying, you know, they're kind of like pocketing money away for their friends, and their loved ones and their daughters. So if they have to be transported, they don't have to go through the men, you know, they yeah. have their safety net to get extra care if they need it. Yeah. That one midwife who um, was caring for her daughter-in-law and, and she was like, I'm going to have to hide money in mm-hmm. order to get a cab to get to the hospital because yeah. I know her husband won't let her, mm-hmm. her go otherwise. So were the, most of those women getting any prenatal care or was it just with the, the midwives? They weren't going to the clinic normally? No, they were. They were. They were um, on behalf of the request of their um, midwives. And those midwives, and I use midwives and traditional birth attendants interchangeably because there's just a lot of conversation around you know what term is appropriate. Mm-hmm. But in the community, these women are midwives. Mm-hmm. Um, but in comparison to the professionally trained midwives who work in the clinic and the hospitals and who are recognized by the medical establishment, you know, it's to distinguish the two different types of providers. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, they had been trained in identifying kind of risks and and reasons to go get further checkups. And so they would encourage women to go to the the clinic and they would go with the Mm -hmm. women, you know, they'd be their, their support system. Which is so beautiful because you really saw that my, my words are slow today, but you saw the coming together of the different care providers, you know, and the, the mutual respect, you know, of like more traditional midwife and then like the medical midwife and how they're, they're both on the same team, yeah. which was cool to see. Yeah. It has to be a collaborative care yeah. process. I mean, collaborative, everybody- that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of the, the mm-hmm. hot word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In healthcare, mm-hmm. is everybody needs to work as a team. Everybody yeah. has something else that they can bring totally. bring to it. Get out of our egos so much, mm-hmm. and just really hold the health of the mom and the child as the goal. Right? Yeah. No, no right way. Every every situation is different. Mm-hmm. What are the statistics like for um, like miscarriages and stillbirths? In Tanzania? Mm -hmm. Or just like kind of what you've seen just based on like being out in, I don't even know, not in the medical world. Like, do you see more or less or is it? 
Is that even just a weird question? No, I'm just trying to think. I mean, obviously, I don't know the statistics off the top of my head. And in terms of what I've personally witnessed and seen, um, there's a high uh, high mortality rate for children under five. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily birth-related deaths that I've seen for for children mm-hmm. as much as you know, someone gets sick and, and dies before mm-hmm. five or drowns. Drowning mm-hmm. is a huge, mm-hmm. huge thing. Um, but, you know, I've definitely mm-hmm. met so many women who are pregnant and then talk on behalf of this other experience that they've had where they've lost a child or mm-hmm. that they had a really, like anybody, a complicated first experience and mm-hmm. then now want to find something different and find a different provider. I mean, it's a very similar experience, mm-hmm. I think, for women everywhere. What's been the most incredible birth that you've witnessed or been around? Uh, or top couple or, or maybe they all blend together in different no, ways. No, they definitely all stand out on their own. Um, I mean, I've also been fortunate to work as a doula on the side. And mm. I, I did that because of my film work, because I was spending so much time with pregnant women and often would be their only kind of insight into further education. Um, and I'd be sitting with them in their prenatal visits, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but then I did, you know, work outside of filming. Um, and I was invited to be at the births of my closest childhood friend and her two kids. Um, you know, and that was just so like emotionally Mm -hmm. connected Mm -hmm. to be with this family that I have. She was my oldest friend and here she is giving birth. So (laughs) of course that was so special. But then I've seen, you know, some really wild other experiences and everything is an emotional experience, but I've definitely been in births where I'm up, I don't know what the right term is, where I just feel really kind of helpless and, um, you know, everything's ending up okay, but I just think things could have been done differently Mm -hmm. and that that woman deserves more. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a frustrating place to be. Mm-hmm. Did birth ever scare you witnessing it or has it always felt comfortable to you? I mean, in quotation marks, comfortable, <laughs> but I mean, like you don't faint with blood or anything. No. Um, yeah, I think a C-section is is uh, alarming the first time mm-hmm. seeing it. Mm-hmm. And just a lot of my classmates in our OB rotation just experienced their first uh, C-section the past couple of weeks. And I think people don't um, visually know what it's going to be like. Mm-hmm. And it can be sh- shocking for some. I think any surgery is, yeah. when you get to be in the operating room, it's wild to see what actually goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. I think also just is watching a vaginal birth. <laughs> um, it's the smells, <laughs> the, the, the liquids. Yeah. <laughs> The things that come out of your body. <laughs> Everything is like, oh my God, you know, this yeah. is insane. Your body yeah. is doing this, but yeah. it's been here to create mm-hmm. this environment for a baby to grow in. It's, mm-hmm. it's insane to watch. I still don't understand it. I'm like, I look at my kids, I'm like, what? You came out of me? That's so crazy. Like it still doesn't become normalized for myself. Yeah. It's just such a miracle. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I guess here's one birth that was, it definitely stands out is, um, we were in Haiti and we work with the wonderful organization there, Midwives for Haiti, who mm-hmm. are definitely, I owe so much to. I mean, they were the inspiration and a huge part for me wanting to do, become a midwife myself. And um, they work with a local hospital where 
the midwives do their trainings and a lot of the midwives have actually been hired and are running the maternity unit. And we, yeah. And we were, um, in, in the, in the labor, um, unit and the labor unit set up with, I would say maybe 10, 12 beds, you know, like Mm -hmm. on each side of the room where women are laboring. And then there's a separate delivery room. Um, and a woman just came in and and, you know, it's pouring in LA. It's if you boring. hear that noise, this is, it's such an auspicious, magical day that we're getting this much rain. It's really nice. Um, but yeah, so we were just in the labor unit and a woman to start to deliver, just go into, in, into actual, you know, well, delivery. Happening. And um, so people started rushing in uh, and a couple of the doctors that I was with who, um, you know, we're, we're not there working, but like had to rush in also went in. And then the woman had a, she delivered a first baby and then just second baby came out, <laughs> you know, and everyone oh was my like, God. oh my God. And, and <laughs> so she had twins. Oh my gosh. Um, and I think everyone was like, oh my God. Cause you know, you, in her situation, for instance, she hadn't been familiar with the hospital. She hadn't right. received any prenatal care there. So nobody knew what to expect and she didn't know what to expect, but there was, Unfortunately, it was, there was something wrong and mm. the babies needed to be transported to a, you know, a bigger facility where there was appropriate NICU services. Mm. But that hospital now actually has a great NICU oh, um, cool. unit, which is pretty amazing to see. Wow. That'd be so shocking. <clears throat> I remember watching a birth video the second time around and this woman, she had a home birth, she had a midwife and I guess just the midwife missed on the Doppler or whatever, another heartbeat. She gives birth. And the midwife's like kind of, you know, getting ready to move. So she's like, no, there's something else going on. She's like, I think there's another baby in there. And the midwife's like, no, you know, she's like, yeah. And then she gives birth to another baby. Can you imagine? (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) Surprise. Oh my God. I've had a couple of friends have twins the past couple of years. Like identical twins too, which is so funny. Wow. Um, Twins are fascinating. I know. Yeah, I, uh, I've always been fascinated by them. But then I was like, I hope I can be fascinated and not be calling that into my life because like that's a lot to deal with. And when I went with the Goldie and with, I was at Dr. Crane getting an ultrasound and I just kept being like, just double confirmation. One baby, right? I'd like over and over. I was like, please just, I can't. I have a friend right now that's about to have twins. She had one baby got pregnant with another and then was very shocked that it was twins. That's cool. I know. Kudos to them. They're power women. I know. (laughs) Wild. I know. So is there anything else you feel like adding? I feel like we covered a lot of things. Or if there's like a takeaway you want to sound off to women or? Um, I guess, you know, it's just been so nice getting the chance to meet you and be connected mm-hmm. to this community here in LA. Mm-hmm. I, I found it really moving back here. I had to find and, and be introduced to people that I aligned with. And mm-hmm. you've just been such a great part of that mm-hmm. and Thank so you. helpful in, you know, introducing me to other people in this community. Cause yeah, it's, it can be hard to, mm-hmm. to figure out where to go. And I'm not obviously pregnant right now, but I can only imagine what it would be like for, you know, a pregnant person first time, especially of trying to navigate this whole system. Yeah. And it can look so many different ways. 
Yeah. And I just, um, you know, in building this network and, and, and having now this community of birth workers and maternal health advocates and now having friends who are really in there. I mean, I'm at that point in my life where most of my friends are now pregnant or, or new moms, being able to refer them and, mm-hmm. and share with them these contacts that I've made. And it's just been so wonderful to see you work with my friends, mm, you know? know? I love it. Well, I so appreciate it too. But I feel the same way. It's like, you know, whether I'm working with people or not, it's just so nice to have the referrals, you know? And like when they circle back and they need night nurses or nutritionists or therapists or marriage counselors or whatever, it's just, it's such an important thing to have community. Yeah. And yeah. And it, and it, like we've talked about, it's like this holistic component. Like mm-hmm. there's so much of it that is needed and to have people that are that at least connected now yeah, to find those resources and help each other. Cause yeah, it's, it's a lot for, for us as women to handle um, mm-hmm. on our own, especially I can only imagine when you do have a, a newborn. Yeah. And then for people, myself included, that want to know more about the statistics of our country and kind of where we are, you know, state by state, but also nationally, do you have any just top kind of resources or websites that we can go to? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely everymothercounts.org yeah. has a lot of great so information. And we've we've been doing a lot, um, not just advocacy work, but actually now policy work mm. and working with legislator and putting out these great reports. The team there is, is incredible doing that. And so you can go and and find the statistics and these reports. And then the Giving Birth in America page, especially, will have a lot of great resources. In addition to the films that we've made, the um, CNN uh, films, we also have these shorter, like two to three minute videos of all these great interviews that I've mm. compiled over the mm. years when I was doing my research for these films. Amazing. Um, Wait, so where is that? So it's all in the Giving Birth in America page on everymothercounts.org. And, you know, if you want to understand what a doula's role is or what Mm. the difference is between a certified professional midwife and a nurse midwife or what, you know, um, you know, certain initiatives like the preterm birth initiative that Monica McLemore and UCSF are doing, um, which is an incredible initiative. And she's also just an incredible, um, you know, researcher and and activist. Um, You can go see these short videos and learn about these other programs that are being done in the U.S. And um, yeah, so that was really great, I think, for us to do. And then, I mean, there's so, we have also an alliance of different partners that we work with and Black Mamas Matter and, Mm -hmm. you know, Ancient Song Doula Services and, you know, Jenny Joseph in Florida. Um, Mm. What these people are doing is just really incredible and kind of, you know, March for Moms is just a lot of, of great stuff right now out there. And Awesome. Luckily, the mainstream media has been picking it up too, Mm -hmm. which has been great. Yeah, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because they don't always do that. No. One of the important things. No. Um, Well, that's really great. That's a great starting place. And then people can go and find where they can be of service. Because, you know, I feel like I'm constantly saying this, but we're in a time where we all have to be active. We all have to be fighting for something. And birth, especially when you've had a kid and you know how lucky we are to have had a healthy birth where we're still alive and the baby's still alive Mm -hmm. is huge. So I think it is really important to be in gratitude and live in gratitude and then also be, you know, a warrior and helping others. So thank you for all that you do and all your films. And it's been such a really 
you know, huge impactful way to reach people. I, I really think that film is such a beautiful medium. So thank you. And then can we find your films on CNN website or how do we do that? Yeah, they're um, on CNN.com slash mothers. Okay. And that is, so they are on <laughs> CNN.com slash mothers. And that's the Giving Birth in America series. But we also have all of the films on everymothercounts.org. Okay, great. In addition to the international films that we've done, we had a great film on National Geographic called Comadre, which was about Mm. the um, indigenous midwives in Guatemala um, that are just, I mean, mind-blowing. And I should be so lucky to be Mm. a midwife like them. Um, And uh, the Tanzania film, um, which will hopefully be out soon. And then we've also made films in all the other countries we work in as well, which are available on everymothercounts.org. Yay. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all that you do. Thank you, McLean. Bye. Bye.